again, friends. Producer Tim here. As you may have heard at the end of our last episode, our review of Rings of Power went pretty long, so we ended up deciding to split it into two episodes. So without further ado, here is part two of our conversation about Rings of Power featuring Alicia, Grace, Leah, and myself. Enjoy. shift into some of our issues with the elves because I think that that's been kind of a point of contention for all of us and we kind of touched on it a little bit in earlier on in this episode but Gilgalad's the giantest penis man who has ever lived I (laughs) hate him so much what the fuck daddy he's a dick bag there is (laughs) one moment one moment where kudos to Benjamin Walker's like nuance of expression and everything like that. Like there is the tiniest shift in his eyes at the point when Elrond is asking him for like three more months and being like, Hey, I'm throwing my your own words back in your face. There's this tiny shift that the actor does. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this is who Gilgalad could be. If Gilgalad wasn't set up to be an absolute dick. Yeah. Right. (laughs) We get that Gilgalad for about, Point three seconds and then it cuts to something else but i'm hopefully he's a character we'll see some character development in throughout the series and that we'll get to see him evolve into less of a dick bag <laughs> i really hope so i think so i hope so as well because I, I think that i noticed that kind of same shift and i kind of noticed on this this second go around that this is a man who's under a lot of stress and under a lot of pressure i think in that I think he's making some decisions and saying some things rather uh, bluntly, <laughs> to put it <laughs> to put it lightly. I kind of think that he's been put into a position of power that he hasn't quite figured out yet. And to me, he kept coming across as somebody who's under a lot of stress and is coming across as a bit of a dick because he's very stressed. <laughs> I do appreciate that at the point when they're like, and we're going to make you a crown. He's just kind of like, I, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, I don't really? know about this. You yeah, guys. This might not be the best use of this metal. <laughs> that was kind of a turning point for me when I kind of went back to rewatch some of this, uh, some of these the interactions with, with Elrond, especially, and sort of discussing like the state of, of the tree. You know, I, I do think that there are still some some off notes about the idea that he has the power, the power, quote unquote, to release elves to Valinor. I feel like that could have been that could have been written differently and still would have gotten a good point across and and yeah. not quite putting as much I don't know kind of kind of putting as much of the decision into his hands as we kind of know that he doesn't really have I think the actor is doing a great job yeah but the this is one of the places where I think there is genuinely valid critique around the writing I there think are so writing too. choices that could have been stronger there are yeah. writing choices that could have been more in keeping with the legendarium and the actor certainly could have handled those better writing choices yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm like I'm here for Gilgadaddy for sure. I, <laughs> I want, I want him to, to, to rise up and kind of take that, that mantle of power like pretty lightly that I think that he takes throughout the second and the third, throughout the second age anyway. I, I kind of feel like he's feeling the weight of that mantle of power a lot in this show, which is a choice for sure. 
I know that a lot of people have had some some issues with it. I'm I'm having I'm still having some issues for sure. I'm kind of finding myself kind of feeling a lot more for Gilgalad on the second go round or Gilgalad. Sorry, not Gilgalad. Whatever. I, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I, Gilgalad is perfectly <laughs> Gilgalad. valid. <laughs> I, I say Gilgalad because yeah. that's what I do. Uh, this is going to sound a little. Why is Arwen doing Glorfindel's job? But <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I think the centrality of Galadriel in this narrative is harming other secondary characters, of which mm. are Gilgalad and Celebrimbor, because you've mm. now, at this point, taken Gilgalad's major reaching out to Numenor, because Gilgalad realizes they're in trouble and reaches out to Numenor, and he's mm-hmm. kind of the one who makes that contact. You've taken that away from him, so now he's mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. this shitty little king doing shitty little things and um, Mm -hmm. ruining Elrond's life. Uh, (laughs) And then you have Celebrimbor, who, what is Celebrimbor known for? Making the rings and then discovering that Sauron deceived them into making the rings. And he now no longer gets that beat either because it was given to Galadriel. I think he could still get that beat. I agree. Galadriel already knows. I think if Sauron returns in a different form to Celebrimbor and helps him with the forging of the Dwarven and the uh, Rings of Man, then we can still have that moment. I agree. It will have less impact now that Galadriel has already revealed him once, but I think he still can have that moment. I think that it absolutely can still happen and that by giving that beat to Galadriel here... And then leaving us for two years while a new season comes up. And this might be something that would be a season three thing instead of a season two thing. So we're, mm-hmm. we could be four or five years away from seeing who gets assigned these these character beats and the story arcs and all of that. I think that that's a, a, a questionable choice to go in that direction. It leaves us with a lot of questions that I don't think were necessary. Yeah. They could still pull it around. I think there's a lot that they could still do in season two to assuage many of my concerns. It's just a little rough on it being a two year gap before we might see any of that. Yeah, it's going to be a long wait because I'm in a similar position, Tim and 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 Grace. That I'm and like I don't think that the events of season one have totally ruled out those character moments for sure, but. This relies on me saying, I have to wait and see. And that's going to be another two years. So, yeah. And how many things can you say that about? And how many will they actually come through on? Right. Like, if I have a list of 10 things that I want them to do or to turn around or frame in a different light in season two, and they only do two or three, then all right, I'm going to be disappointed. But if they do eight or nine of them, then I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Or it might be like, I get two or three in season two. Maybe I'll still get, maybe I'll get two or three in season three. It's kind yeah. of like, you know, yeah. knowing that this show is going to run for five seasons is kind of like, uh, you're, you are kind of asking the audience to do a lot of, a lot of wait and seeing to, to yeah. really come down on, you know, especially having switched many things like Alicia points out from one character to another or switch the order in which things at least appear to be happening. Time compression. I'm great with 
My my salt on dialogue and everything is that we never need to say three days for anything unless it's plot relevant. <laughs> that, that that's one of my major notes for them is leave your timeline more flexible so that you can suspend disbelief. I hope to see that in season two, but switching some of the events around, they could still complicate that in season two. They could show us flashbacks to previous things happening. They could show us things that we didn't perceive in season one, but making all of those changes in season one leaves the audience in a very strange place going into a two year hiatus. It makes us doubt the the strength of the adaptation and it, it kind of relies on us giving a lot of good grace, which which I which I have I have like I I extend a lot of optimism and hope for <laughs> for the future for sure to <laughs> these guys. But not not everybody is 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 gonna do that. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you one of correct. them is right here. Not everyone is going to do that. <laughs> I am going to broach this now while we are somewhat on the subject of Galadriel and know that this is somewhere where I differ considerably with Felicia. I am generally okay with where they're taking Galadriel. I think that they're starting her off purposefully to be sort of more cold and vengeful and unfeeling. You know, she's been probably the most under the microscope character in the fandom because mm-hmm. she's the character that so many fans know from the Jackson movies that is that is still around. But yeah, she's mourning the loss of her brother and she has room for that character growth, which I think we saw even in the end of the first season. Yeah. You know, and I think we will continue to see until we get something closer to the third age Galadriel that we know from Lord of the Rings book and movie. Yeah. By the end of the first season, she's clearly becoming more self-aware about how her desire for vengeance has started to become an obsession. And I think it's very symbolic that she gives up Finrod's dagger, which is like the literal symbol of her rage and her drive for vengeance to be part of the alloy that goes into the rings as well. So I'm, you know, I know that a lot of people have really not liked where Alicia staring daggers at your screen right now have really not really (laughs) not liked where they have taken Galadriel on a whole. But I think that the journey that we're going to see her on hopefully will end up being rewarding and we'll see why they made the choices they did in, in the beginning. I agree. I really, really enjoyed seeing Galadriel grow and seeing her be be that that prideful, flawed, hasty sort of sort of person that we catch glimpses of in Unfinished Tales and some of the earlier drafts. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, like, you know, watching Galadriel in this show has really like she's always been kind of a, a favorite character of mine, but she's really it's really like put into stark it's like it's highlighted like, like just how much I I really am how much I love her and how much of a of a favorite and how much like I couldn't I can think about her journey and where she goes for ages for sure and so I'm I'm really appreciative of of what they've done in the show for sure I think she this characterization works within the variations in the legendarium I think it's largely internally consistent so I'm good with it for the most part there's a thing that I am incredibly, incredibly salty about, um, mm. but I want to hold some space if Alicia wants to counter any of our points. And if Alicia yeah. doesn't want to, that's fine, too. I think it was a mistake to focus on her as much as they are um, to the detriment of other characters, not just with the stuff that I've already brought up, but also just the sheer amount of screen time. You get mm-hmm. so much more with Galadriel than you get with any other character. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like the tiny bit of character progression we get thus far really 
necessitates that. I feel like if they would have taken 15 minutes away from Galadriel and given it to Celebrimbor, I feel like you would have gotten a lot more impact with the rings being made and everything. I also, I, I will, I will give you the 30 second close up of her on the horse. They can have that back to give to another <laughs> character because that got painful. 100. percent That was horrifying. <laughs> if they cut, if they cut at least seven seconds out of it, it would have been so much better. <laughs> I have notes. I can tell them where yeah. I have cut it. It's so much better. Aww, I love horse girl Galadriel. Oh, man. So many horse girls in this show. You got Isildur and Isildur yeah. and Elendil are both horse girls too. I love yep. it. <laughs> but like you also with Galadriel fall into this like Joss Whedon-esque feminism where a mm. woman is a strong female character because she can take a beating. And a lot mm-hmm. of the women in this show are like that. Why, mm-hmm. why is Galadriel strong? Because she's a military commander and can like beat the shit out of people. Why is Muriel strong? Because she's a military commander. Like, right, right. And Bronwyn as well. Although I would argue that each of them embody that role very differently. And so I do find a lot of nuance in it. But yeah, there aren't a lot of our main characters who are not drawn into the physical fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you got mm-hmm. Disa, and that's basically yep. it, really, in terms yeah. of like, main female characters. Yeah, and Nori, too. She is yeah. also strong because she can take a beating. And, like, Nori and Poppy and, oh, what is Nori's stepmom's name? Marigold? Marigold, yeah. yeah. They, they all end up going up against the 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 priests, the accolades of Sauron. The priests, the cultists. Yeah. That's and very so true. They, they have that. They fight back. They survive. That's mm-hmm. a very Tolkienian thing of like particularly women fighting when they need to and then going back mm-hmm. to being their demure selves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's it, it, it is a note that is hit pretty consistently among the female characters in this first season for good or for ill. Yeah, and it's it's 2022. We should fucking be beyond that by this point like you can be a strong mm-hmm. female character without beating someone's ass or having your ass beaten 100 percent. we should be able to see other examples of women in like even just in, in the the secondary or tertiary levels of background around middle earth that have different d- different ways of relating and different ways of of being strong or whatever and that they shouldn't just be background extras. There should mm-hmm. be some more nuance and conflict. Um, and in a second, that's going to bring me back to one of my my big salts. But my Galadriel salt in particular is that by centering her in this way and having Sauron be centered on her in this way, I find it to be very contradictory to the Legendarium where... Mm. Galadriel and Gilgalad are the characters who are never taken in by Sauron, who never allow Sauron into the elven cities and strongholds. And here Galadriel rides in with him on a horse. And that just, that does not feel to me totally like it is meeting the the purpose laid out in the Legendarium. So I have a lot of salt about that storyline, that element of that storyline. There are other pieces of it that I like, but that one in particular, and then pulling back from Celebrimbor a bit, I think has gotten very, like very inappropriate as far as, as relating back to the legendarium. There's a, a big gap there for me. 
So in terms of Galadriel, you know, not seeing through Halbrand, right from the beginning, she is immediately suspicious of him. She just pegs him wrong at the start. So like she's never fully, I, there might be a point like where they're having their conversation after the, the battle in the Southlands where, you know, she's started to trust him more. But I think for 90% of the season, she is distrustful of him in some way. It's just she doesn't come around to the actual conclusion until he basically tells her. I'm sure Halbrand wants uh, Galadriel to peg him. <laughs> I also thought that and also believe that. <laughs> I, I was going to say I was having a similar experience where I also think that this might be one of those changes that like folks either have a really big problem with or are kind of like in adaptation, it works okay in the same way that, and Alicia's going to get mad here, Faramir is tempted by the ring in the film <laughs> of the Two Towers. <laughs> they did my boy dirty. <laughs> I kind of think that in the original story, having these characters be immediately suspicious of this villain and reject him right from the get-go works well in the story. However, on film, when we are supposed to have the experience of being deceived by this villain who is known for being a deceiver. He is known for being a liar and is known for sneaking his way into the good graces of people and betraying them. I feel like, I kind of feel like we need to be taken along with the main characters hmm. and deceived as well in order for that to be sold. As a, as a villain who needs to be feared and who needs to be a, a real threat on the screen. You know what I mean? I feel like us kind of being deceived along with Galadriel gives us a chance to participate in that same character development that Galadriel is going through. And it kind of gives us kind of a firsthand experience in a way of understanding out on the deceiver you know that definitely works if you're also deceived by it but like he's obviously at very best a morally gray character if not an evil mm -hmm. one basically from yeah. the outset mm -hmm. yeah we, mm -hmm. we had him pegged as probably ending up as a nazgul so i wasn't too far That's off but... totally true and <laughs> like i feel like maybe i'm maybe being deceived along with the characters the kind of the wrong like way that i'm explaining it but like no. I, I like it. I think that works. Going along with the main protagonist, which in the first season is very, you know, for, for good or ill, is is Galadriel. I, I feel like having us see that she too can be taken in gives us a little bit more empathy with 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 her and kind of gives us it kind of lets us experience her her humility and kind of like her embarrassment and her pride. Kind of firsthand because she's by the end of the series by the end of the show um i should say or the end of the season even she's very humiliated and embarrassed that this has happened to her and that she that she has allowed this to happen and she fucking should be because she's been making <laughs> yeah. dumbass fucking decisions the entire show the yeah. entire show she made yeah. zero good decisions except Jumping off the boat. Everything else is just garbage. <laughs> <laughs> she just felt like swimming. Aww. 
I, and see, I feel oh. like for me, like experiencing that along with her, like really, I don't know, it made me feel so much empathy and like so much kinship with her in a way. Yeah. I, I do like the the deceived along with the characters thing. It's just that a couple small changes in writing or depiction would have made me go, oh, I see how you skirted around that and still got me as there as an audience member. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If Galadriel had met Celebrimbor and Elrond as they were walking if they were strolling just outside the gates of Eregion and Celebrimbor invited them in, this would feel different to me than Galadriel bringing him through the gates herself. Mm-hmm. If, if we hadn't seen Sauron as Halbrand picking up the actual mithril piece that's used in the making of the rings, granted, I did love the lingering sensual shot of of his hand and Celebrimbor's hand <sighs> handing that mithril back. That was excellent, delightful. Yeah. It was crumbs, but it was good crumbs. No notes. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> but if he hadn't actually like touched it directly it would have felt a little bit closer to the notes in the legendarium of like Galadriel didn't allow Sauron into, into whichever cities Sauron never touched the rings. Like these are certainly things that can be interpreted, but I needed them to be a little bit, a little bit more literal than Mm -hmm. what, what this adaptation showed because they're, they're pretty small things, but they stick out to me as, as not working tonally. I hear that. Yeah. Let's get back to uh, Halbrand wanting to be pegged by Galadriel because that is oh, a yeah. thread we can pull on. <laughs> so absolutely, oh. I think you are 100% correct in that <laughs> and valid. Uh, I do think Very that valid. Halbrand's interest is a, a much, it exists on many more levels, his interest in Galadriel than her interest in him. So I think you're, I think you're correct. There. So let's yeah. just say big, big incel energy coming off of Halbrand and oh, unrequited yeah. love. And I, I really like it in a, it gives a big Kylo Ren represents the petulant <laughs> aging Star Wars fan energy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm now like Halbrand is my vehicle character now for all the petulant like fucking lore boys that are just angry <laughs> about Rings of Power. And he's like, how dare you not make this exactly how I want to. I should be the arbiter. Only I know what is good and right. Yeah. I was genuinely upset about that level of, like, incel energy coming from Hallbrand, Sauron, what have you, at at the point when episode eight aired and was, like, ready to be in a rage about it. And then, then a delightful thing happened on Reddit, which was that I realized that self-identified incels had caught that reference (laughs) and they were displeased by it. They did not like that uh, their behaviors and ideas and everything were being assigned to the Dark Lord and they were big mad about it. And I suddenly found myself much less concerned that it would be like taken up as a championship cause by them or whatever and just a lot more assuaged in my concerns. You can't see my face, but I am just like beaming. Yeah. You're pissing <laughs> off the hilarious. right people. Yeah. So oh. I was I was super salty on that one, and I have backed off on that now because they could still ruin it for me, the the people on the internet. But it definitely 
people read that as not being an appropriate thing and good because I was afraid that that was not how it was going to be read. That's so funny. I'm also really here for the Galadriel is like, we we never dated. We were never, ever together. I don't know how you could possibly imagine us as being together, but somehow you're still my toxic ex. How is this happening? They spent all that time with only one bed on that raft. With only one bed. And Sauron, I, I just, I'm so here for this relationship between like Sauron being like the horrible toxic ex that Galadriel never had. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's the real reason why Galadriel doesn't put on her ring. She just doesn't want to be she confronted with Sauron's horseshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. She's just like, "Fuck you, go away." <laughs> like, no, no, no. We are. We never not, dated. I am not. <laughs> we were never ever together. Go away. Get off my lawn with that fucking <laughs> boombox. <laughs> Get off my lawn! Stop playing that stupid boombox. <laughs> She's basically playing the Taylor Swift we are never, ever, ever getting back together. But just with like an asterisk no, we never were together. We never were together. Please tell me somebody has done that meme already Uh, where it's Halbrand holding up the boombox and in the yard. Please. I I, will get right on it. Yeah, I was going to say, please and please bid the never, ever getting back together to the two of them because I, I... I may need to wait for season two for a lot of my bidding because okay. I, I do okay. plan to take every single Toxic Taylor Swift breakup song and apply them to either Sauron <laughs> uh, or Sauron and Celebrimbor. So you mean every single Taylor Swift song? <laughs> Basically. There's a whole catalog to go through. I've, I've got goals. Catalog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On this rewatch, uh, it's also like spoiler alert for folks who have not seen the end of Rings of Power. I'll give you a couple we seconds to We will spoiler the off. episode notes right. for sure. You, you should have been listening for the last 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a big spoiler. Halbrand is Sauron, just FYI. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, on, my, on this rewatch that I've been doing, understanding that Halbrand is Sauron is... 1000% more hilarious to me in the way that like reading the interactions between the two I, I don't know for some reason it's just striking me as so funny and so like this is the energy that I want between the two of them as antagonists for sure but they have this like inexplicable like this stupid stupid bond that they can't like get rid of each other basically there are some pretty good moments on a rewatch uh my one of my favorites is in episode three as they wake up on elendil's ship together and he's like and sauron is over here going like oh yeah that food isn't poison at least not to humans there are no humans in that ship's hole (laughs) just a little shit (laughs) (laughs) and just like I know that this is something that we have also talked about before in that Charlie Vickers did not actually know that he was playing Sauron until they were filming for episode three. I think they just wrapped filming for episode two. So that first episode with him on the raft and him making those first initial connections with Galadriel and him saving her life were performed and filmed with him not knowing that he was Sauron. And I think that that was a missed opportunity for 
for the showrunners to really place a lot more trust in in Charlie, who I think has proven through the show he is extremely capable of giving kind of a double layer of meaning to every single line and giving even like triple layers. I feel like that his performance is, was really one of the strong suits of this show for me anyway, in that it really like it, every line that he says is kind of like, you kind of have to, you kind of keep asking yourself like, okay, so he's trying to deceive the person he's talking to. Is he also trying to deceive himself? Is he trying to deceive anybody else who might be watching? What's his motive? What's his game? And those are the questions that we always need to be asking when it comes to Sauron. And some of my salt is that due to the inexperience and just frankly, idiocy of the showrunners in this regard, those questions cannot be answered because the actor could not answer those questions in delivering their performance. Yeah. So as someone with a theater background and a theater degree, I would just like to take a moment to, to speak directly to the showrunners here. Traditionally, at the point when you begin rolling cameras or raise the curtain, it is best for your actors to know who they are playing. <laughs> it's the best practice. Minor details. It yeah. tends to work better. And you can yeah. really see the cracks that show on a rewatch where the actor clearly did not know. There's a moment at the end of episode two where either there was really good direction to like play a moment surprised or it was filmed after the COVID break and after he had been told who he was. But really, like, you can tell the point at which the actor was told that they were going to be playing Sauron. And yeah, that doesn't work for unpacking a mystery box. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's only one episode where he doesn't have that full information. So I think that that helps. I also, on rewatching it, I was kind of looking to see if I could see those cracks a little bit better. I actually think that it might be the strength of the directing that it doesn't quite show quite as badly for me on on rewatching to where where it feels disingenuous or where it feels like this couldn't be looked at again and seen to be like oh this is actually just you know him making up things as he's go as he's going along so the cracks didn't quite show for me as much but i i absolutely agree that i really think that you do a disservice to your actors when you do this. And it, in the name of, I don't know, connecting in a different way, I really feel like based on the strength of the performance that he does in later episodes, especially when they're in Numenor that I was really noticing, I actually felt like there was a slightly more, there were slightly more cracks in Numenor than there were in episode two on the raft. There is a huge crack from the perspective of the show, not the acting, not that there is in, I want to say it's episode four, there is a Muriel voiceover discussing the topic of valor. And it mm. is after Hallbrand has been released from his jail cell, presumably by Farazan, and he is walking through Numenor. And it is the show textually telling us that this character of Hallbrand is a character that we should trust. Right. That 
that he has valor, that he is valiant, that he is a good character. That is an right. outright lie from the perspective of the show. Mm-hmm. And it was, mm-hmm. I think, a deeply criticizable writing choice. They did not need to put those images with that voiceover and have that connotation come through to deceive the audience because that was deceiving, not misleading the audience. Yeah. And it makes that mystery box a lot harder on an, on an unpacking. So those those two things for me are, are really key as far as, I think, missteps that they made because of an experience. Yeah. I, I feel like there was a moment, I think it was in, in episode five, I think, where Halbrand is really angry at Galadriel for, quote unquote, using him to sail to Middle Earth. He explicitly tells her, find another head to crown. And when you kind of look back at it, knowing that he is Sauron, you're kind of like, what's your motive behind that statement? What are your real emotions behind that anger? You know, like, I get that you're gaslighting. Why else? Why are you? Yeah, doing that? it's kind of like, are you trying to make her feel like are you kind of trying to like egg her on into believing that she is the one who really pushed you to go back to Middle Earth that? With that, without her, you would have you know, been very happy to stay here in Numenor and be a smith for the rest of your life or whatever. Well, he does bring that up in the reveal. Yeah. That he wanted to, he wanted to stay there. About that. And I'm thinking, okay, he didn't really care where he forged the rings. He just wanted to forge them. He could have forged them in Numenor just as easily as he could have in Aragion. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about that in kind of in reflecting on episodes four and five, especially, which, which was him and Numenor especially mm-hmm. where I was kind of like I, it's hard to kind of figure out what his real game was and like is he just kind of like trying to go with Galadriel into is he trying to convince both Galadriel and himself that he really does want to stay in Numenor and it's a little tough to kind of to land on that and I know that that's that was a motive of the writers and the showrunners to they wanted it to be deliberately very tough to figure that out. I feel like it could have been a little bit stronger in terms of trusting both the actor and trusting the audience to kind of second guess those motives. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I think that they may be able to recontextualize that in season two interviews that I've seen suggest that they are looking to do that, that there will be more of an explanation for, you know, why Hallbrand was on the raft and yeah, whatever yeah. and, and i know that we've thrown out theories if he was trying to get to numenor he was trying to get to valinor mm-hmm. something else yet yet unannounced or he was trying to escape something in middle earth like there's a lot of different things it could be but i think that it was a misstep to leave so much unaccounted for going into a two-year hiatus and i think that's one of the places where the inexperience of the showrunners really really shows is that there are a lot of things that may be fine after season two airs, but leaving fans with a two year hiatus and some of these questions not being answered or things that they have come to depend on as fanon or like truths that fans uh, kind of agree to. And then the canon of the show doesn't hold to are going to cause some issues down the road. Yeah. And I think they've set themselves up for some troubles there. I agree. I agree. I think also just a couple of points as far as the sexism of the show again. Um, 
we have to talk about the background elves. Like not not the, <laughs> yeah. the background elves that don't show up going to Valnor, not the background elves that die really. Early. We need to talk about the veiled elven women in Linden. The servants. Yeah. And on the boat. They're yeah. on the boat too. Linden yeah. and boat. And they're explicitly servants. Like we don't see any any male coded elves clearing away the table, taking away armor on the boat. It's it's all women and they're all veiled. And mm-hmm. that's very mm, that that does not sit well with me at all. No, it's it's very surprising. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this could have been very easily avoidable if you had had you had a veiled, you know, male elf clearing away the dishes from the table or one of the folks on the boat, you know, helping to <laughs> helping to undress the warriors. If you wanted everyone to be veiled, sure. I mean, sure. If more why of not? these characters had speaking roles and names and things like that and weren't just set dressing, yeah. that would make a difference as well. Yeah. Only one of them is, to my recollection, ever speaks, and it's to like deliver a message to Elrond, and he's a bit mm-hmm. snippy with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just not a good look. It is not a particularly ethical treatment. And considering that there are not a lot of female elven characters in the show, like it means that everything ends up landing on Galadriel as your your token character. No yeah. other female elf really speaks for more than a line and there's only one of them that does that yeah so your options if you're a female dwarf is you go into the military or you don a veil <laughs> and serve the king <laughs> uh, on the rewatch i was noticing that the the numenorians and the dwarves actually come across as and even the southlanders come across as far more like egalitarian and a mm. lot more evenly in terms of gender, not blindness, but I noticed a lot more women soldiers in the Numenorean Guard and, and working. I noticed a lot more women dwarves just kind of, you know, scattered in the crowd. It, it felt very deliberate and it also kind of stuck out like a sore thumb that when it came to the elves, all the servants were women and all of them were veiled. Yeah, there were some background extras who were elven women, but who were not wearing veils. They were wearing the more like the blue robes that Elrond was wearing. But it it maps on to a lot of concerns about why this aesthetic choice was made, because certainly there are plenty of examples in our real world of for cultural or religious purposes, a culture of covering. That is something that is both challenged and very much desired by various groups of of people it's not a a simple issue certainly yeah but to introduce this concept into an elven society which is not depicted anywhere in the legendarium to my understanding correct me if i'm wrong but this isn't depicted anywhere within tolkien's writings so putting this in this regard without making any sort of explanation for why, for why it would be something that is desired by the participants in the society is very strange, very lackadaisical, I think. And it ends up being deeply sexist because it 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 doesn't get into any depth as to why that decision might be made. It's just on the surface. They've definitely made a conscious decision to depict these 
distinctions of class within elven culture in particular, but they're not doing anything with it. Yeah. If you're going to mm-hmm. do that, at least like, you know, show that there's some pushback against it or whatever, right? Maybe it's part of how they're trying to depict the elves as even at this, I guess, middle stage of, of Middle Earth history kind of thing, but starting to become detached from the rest of the world and losing mm-hmm. touch with the rest of society. But, you know, it's just, it's not played that way. It's just played, hey, here's some creepy background people and we won't show you their faces because they're just a lowly servant class. Right. I mean, they're already yeah. doing enough to show that elves are kind of apart from everyone else. You have the fact that going to Linden's a big fucking thing and they don't have anything to do with the dwarves and they have like this literal tower of elves standing watch over humans. I feel like you don't also need to fail a bunch of elf yeah. women. Yeah, that, that really <laughs> yeah. heavy handed fucking elves are, ta- are coming to take our jobs. Numenorean thing. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> it, it still comes across as pretty cringy on this. <laughs> On this yeah. watch, I noticed. Yeah. Oh, it's just like, oh boy. It's like, here, progressives, we're going to throw you a bone with this yeah. one. Go, enjoy it. Amazon, please <laughs> don't come at us. Yeah, yeah please don't. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Jeff behind the curtain. <laughs> yes. Speaking of cringy, the whole boat scene is oh, ultimate cringe. Mm. we've mentioned i don't know a dozen times now that one of the showrunners is mormon and i really feel like this is pure mormonism just being put on the screen there's a lot mm-hmm. of mormon or masonic iconography with They're this the same thing they are the same thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of overlap for sure the Mormon temple traditions are 100% adapted from Masonic temple traditions. And that is something that outsiders aren't supposed to know or speak of, but too late. that is certainly something that has been revealed and confirmed over time. Well, I look forward to getting that Masonic hate mail now. <laughs> yeah, from the- <laughs> if this podcast never puts in another episode, it's because the Illuminati got us, guys. The Illuminati got us. <laughs> oh, no. Listen, my my grand my step grandfather was a thirty third degree Mason. I, I he didn't share very much, but you know, whatever. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we got to reach that Masonic audience, that very right. important demographic. Yes, <laughs> yes. You guys, I don't so think key to podcasting. <laughs> I don't think that they're going to come after us. They are all too busy trying to find their aprons because no one remembers where they put them. <laughs> <laughs> they're all trying to get to their pancake breakfast at the lodge so you know yeah. it's why 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 did you have to insert that scene it like i i understand narratively what they're trying to do but did they have to make it literally a mormon temple ceremony did they have to have the characters being undressed by veiled serpents and then ripped through the veil of the clouds into apparently the surface of the sun like why i I have consulted my notes and they did not need to do that (laughs) yeah they have to be wearing the mormon undergarments like almost literally the mormon undergarments basically yeah i Mm. that you guys we figured it out that is how you're protected going through the veil to valinor is the magic underwear oh That's how you survive. It was plot relevant plot armor. Okay. (laughs) It was literal plot armor. Oh, man. I'm so sorry. 
And we uh, also, we had talked about it previously, there being like a lot of other Christian image as well. Mormon is a Christian tradition. There is like very Christian image when Galadriel's getting pulled under the ocean, like her arms mm-hmm. are spread, like bound to mm-hmm. a beam. And then one I picked up on my rewatch too was Galadriel's very Christian speech to Theo after Udun, after Mount Doom erupts. Her mm. whole like everything happens for a reason, there are designs that we can't see sort of thing was very reminiscent of the whole, you know, God has a reason for everything that happens. We can't question his designs and shit like that. And I was like, that really does not seem very elvish, that that particular philosophy. <laughs> she and Valinor though. So she would know quite literally that there are designs in place that were sung in the That's music. That's also very true. Uh-huh. Yeah, but they I, can be known because you can go to Valinor and let and know them. Well, Galadriel can go to Valinor, but then she can't come back. <laughs> yeah. Unless she's Glorfindel. <laughs> As I say, I remember though that Theo explicitly says, like, what's the design in this? And, like, and she can't answer. Gone. Like, my yeah. home is gone. And she's like, I don't know what it is. So I kind of felt like that was kind of a kind of a bone being thrown to to us, us non-Christians a bit <laughs> where we're like, uh, can you explain this? And they're like, actually, no, we kind of can't. Okay. Well, that was literally where she says, like, the, you know, there are parts of the design that we can't see. That was how she explained it away was like the very Christian, like, we yeah. shouldn't deign to understand our creator's creation kind of thing yeah yeah i'm not saying that it's not horseshit specifically (laughs) overtly christian horseshit that's been thrown in my face my entire life yeah but i can also understand a real uh like an in-world reasoning the valor and the yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. all right you guys want to talk about some gay shit uh, I think we should, but before that, wait, I have one more piece of oh, salt. One more, oh, oh, one more, more, salt. One more salt, serving of salt here. And that is, real quick for me, just because I'm going to work through this this theory on air too. List for me the, the characters who people thought might be Sauron. So it was like really Ooh. thought might be Sauron. So Halbrand, the Stranger. Stranger. Adar. Gilgalad. Adar. Gilgalad. Celebrimbor. Yeah. Beric. Beric. <laughs> In pretty much every single one of these instances, the characters who responsibility for Sauron's actions can be shifted off to and can, who can be blamed for his appearance or return in Middle-earth are women. No matter who they chose, it would be women. Nori would be Nori and Poppy would be responsible for the stranger. And I'm uh, very glad that they're not in the end. Yes. <laughs> that that would have been my my worst case scenario, I think. With Gilgalad and everything that it set up to be that tension with Galadriel. And then with Hallbrand, a woman brings him to Numenor. Mm-hmm. A woman mm-hmm. brings him to Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. A woman gives him an army. And like helps lead an army into Middle Earth as the, the Queen Regent from Numenor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A woman, Bronwyn, affirms his right to the crown and, and affirms him as King of the Southlands. Mm-hmm. Everywhere that you turn, people who are misogynists can blame women for Sauron's actions and appearance in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think they needed to be more cognizant of is how 
how those narratives can be received. I think it's most problematic for Galadriel, but you end up with several different women who can be blamed for Sauron showing up and being able to go do a whole bunch of fuckery again. We left out Theo, but he, he also... Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Waldrag. <laughs> I think that that's totally valid. Like, that definitely wasn't, like, my, like, intuition or kind of my experience watching it for sure. But I think that it's all too easy to kind of to go there. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely think that this is something that the showrunners... Again, kind of like with Disa and kind of like with Miriel's blindness, I kind of feel like you'll kind of need to outsource some of your perceptions and get some real good feedback from from other folks. Yeah, I think this ended up being a blind spot for them. Certainly part of the reason that it is possible is because they decided to center female characters. And I don't want them to step aside from doing that in order to... Uh, make it harder for misogynists to be misogynists because they will continue doing that fuckery no matter what. Yeah. But I think just a little bit more thinking through how the actions of women can be perceived and who can be blamed for negative events. Yeah. But there's probably a a need for a bit more of that. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some gay shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even subtext. The thruple is text. Yes. It's canon. It's an arrow. It is absolutely canon. It is a 100% arrow that points to Durin. (laughs) Just the initial speech between Durin and Elrond when they're going up the elevator and Durin's like, I lived a whole life without you. It's just... It's heartbreaking. They're gay. They're, 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 they're gay for each other. Stopping, 100%. I was just like, oh my God, they love each other so much. Durin <laughs> was so hurt. And Disa's like, hello, new boyfriend. You love my husband. Like, <laughs> into our lives. Here are our children. Yeah. She was like, yeah, she was immediate like hugs. You're part of the family now. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Welcome to the polycule. Oh. <laughs> Durin's very much. This is my wife, Disa. This is, this is this, my boyfriend, yeah. Elrond. This is my boyfriend, Elrond. Oh. I mean, some of the, the moments, too, where he is defending Elrond to his father. Oh, and yeah. um, oh. Alicia made an excellent meme in that regard. Yes. <laughs> Daddy, I love him. Daddy, I love him. Where it almost gives Elrond his secret name and Elrond Elrond practically puts his finger up to his lips to stop him from saying it. I almost died. I was like, oh my god, is he going to do it? Oh my god, this is huge. (laughs) Dying. And like the text in there is like, so we tell our wives and also other people and brothers, brothers, I mean brothers. brothers. (laughs) For the uninitiated, I mean brothers, I definitely don't mean. We definitely tell our college roommates our cousins you know yeah <laughs> I, I, I would love to have like some flashbacks about how Elrond and Durin actually met and like yeah. their life before the sundering of their acquaintance I would love that there is yeah. a textual way for them to do it too because every time Disa asks them a question they have different narratives about different the stories. Like, fishing stories about the like who slayed oh. how many trolls or whatever and it's beautiful you. and I love yeah. it and they could just keep doing that like just give us one of those a season and I would mind so much out of that 
Oh, it's really so good. And in my rewatch, I, I've only gotten up to uh, listeners. I've only gotten up through episode five, which, of course, means that I got to relive the experience of give me the meat and give it to me raw. <laughs> give it to me raw. Oh, it's amazing. It howling. <laughs> and then the two of them get furniture to bring back to decent. <gasps> furniture to bring back to their wife. <laughs> oh, my God. About who gets to claim that they gave her the table. Like, <gasps> oh, <laughs> So good. God, and I haven't really talked about it, but, like, the actor for Prince Durin is fucking knocking it out of the park. Oh, he's amazing. Boy so Arthur good. is doing great work. Like, yeah. Every single time he's on the screen, he's just utterly captivating. And every interaction he has with his father in particular is just fantastic. He's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's so like emotional and so like vulnerable and the way that he connects to to everybody on the screen that's around him is just like he's such a good performance. And the three of them have such great chemistry together. Yes. Like Robert Armayo yeah. as as Elrond and Sylvia Nombete and Owen Arthur just they just work so well together on screen. I mean, that scene where Elrond is challenging Disa about where Durin is and she is lying to him but like so believably for the audience and he still doesn't get it but he doesn't fault her for it like and, and the the loyalty discussion that they have there absolutely beautiful every interaction between Doran and Disa and I love even like there one of the moments where Doran is like what is the the phrasing they use like heaping slag on her mother or whatever yeah. and, and she complains about it and he's like well i well in your mother's case her i'm kidding i'm kidding like they're so beautifully wonderfully married and like it is such a a beautiful thing and i'm so yeah. glad that we get this relationship like my gosh it's so good that like i forget about elron's horrible hair and that is saying <laughs> a lot <laughs> it is a highlight for me for sure honestly the treatment of the dwarves in general is likely my favorite out of any tolkien adaptation so far they're much more developed and dimensional they're not played primarily for comedy they are still a little comedic but it's not their primary purpose which it really has been in some of the past adaptations we whole beings instead of just comic relief yeah totally yeah back to queer characters yep yep (laughs) back to the queer shit (laughs) Not a personal ship of mine, but a ship of other people's, Muriel and Galadriel. Into it. <laughs> they definitely have some some tension between them in some of those those one-on-one oh, yeah. scenes. There's yeah. definitely some of the face touching is a little like, oh, and they were just friends. <laughs> <laughs> Scals being pals. Scals being pals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely things to pick up on there and to to have a queer reading of that relationship and and yeah. Well, I mean, Galadriel canonically queer. Yeah, yes. we've proven that. We've proven that. Yeah. Yep. And, and now that she's met Muriel, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I think like the conversation that she has in the tower when she goes to kind of confront Tar Palantir, there was a really wonderful moment of vulnerability between the two of them. Muriel is, she kind of really shows like a really secretive, hidden part of herself that nobody else really gets to see because she wants to very explicitly keep it secret that her her father is ailing and and dying and galadriel is sort of brought into this and 
has this really lovely moment, kind of like that we've seen before, where she kind of comes up short against like her kind of bullheaded, very focused sort of goal oriented seeking. And it sort of comes up across like a real moment of empathy. You know, she's just she kind of realizes that like, oh, oh, shit, I, I had no idea that your father was like this. And I I also had no idea that both of you had this experience with wanting to to remember the ways of, of old Numenor and the relationship with the elves that the Numenorians had before. And so I, I feel like she, that moment, that conversation between the two of them is, is really lovely. Like it's really vulnerable and gives kind of a real like depth and softness to these characters who are, have been kind of armored up against each other and armored up against the world around everybody else as well. I do also want to touch on Poppy and Nori, the two bestest friends who just can like share a cart and um, (laughs) like Poppy has an outright love declaration to Nori at the, the end. And however we read this, like, like that deep love is something that I am very delighted to see. I certainly I can ship it. I also appreciate it on the level of friendship. And it, it's just absolutely beautiful to me. And I love seeing it. Oh, me too. Yeah. I fr- friendship is magic. Love is magic. Poppy and Nori <laughs> are magic. <laughs> Realistically, we do have three young sailor characters that like to ride about together and and you know mm. do do big manly things together. We have a seal doer on Tomo and Volandil all hanging out together doing a lot of stuff doing manly things oh, there's there's definitely some Isildur Volandil shipping yeah that does yeah. not surprise me at all yep yeah into <laughs> it into it you know never gets lonely and on those long nights at sea with <laughs> right only so many hammocks to share sleeping oh. on your bed of half-eaten apples <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I do really appreciate about those three characters is like how much they know each other's shit and call each other yeah, on yeah. it. Like they are, they're so very aware of Isildur's shit and, and just don't <laughs> put up with it in yeah. a way that, that suggests like such an intimate knowledge of each other. And that's, that is beautiful to me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they're old friends and they're not afraid to call each other out on on their shit it's yeah i was really struck by watching balandiel and uh and isildur as well and uh and poor poor ontimo again i i really feel for you nameless fiance and uh (laughs) father-in-law yes (laughs) he seems like a good guy (laughs) so we do also then have to talk about the flip side of this, which is potentially dequeering characters. I have mm. so many thoughts about this. Oh my god. How dare you make Sauron straight? He is so gay <laughs> and fucking Celebrimbor. How did you miss this, Amazon? Everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. Again, there's still time. We can have him come back in a fair form. I am fine for queer Sauron. Like, if we get queer Sauron, who's like, well, you know, that, that one girlfriend that I had, and she's like, we were never dating, my dude. Yeah. Like, oh, right. So my boyfriend, Celebrimbor. <laughs> I'm here for a pan, Sauron. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but. Bye, Sauron. I can certainly interpret 
like the very brief crumbs that we get of Sauron and Celebrimbor as, you know, some queer coding and all of that. Very sensual, lingering touches of I need the... explicit anal. <laughs> <laughs> for that, I think you have to go to AO3 just for the rating yeah. system. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the never made HBO Max show, I think. I, I, I think the most that you're going to get is like a phallic object in the background of Celebrimbor's workshop. Yeah. That like we know is for. Oh, yeah. But like Sauron is such a good character for exploring really interesting things. We've discussed this previously about why not trans Sauron? Why not totally. Sauron not only being transgender, but trans species or whatever like totally. there's so many good things to mine there and he's just some generic white dude who wants to fuck Gladriel, <laughs> and that's like the least interesting thing you could have done yep mm. yep mm-hmm. 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 i'm still really hopeful that we will get like sauron coming back in the anatar guys and like that we'll see some Anatar Celebrimbor content never as much as I'd like to see, but you know, one can dream. I would particularly appreciate if like Hallbrand basically comes back, but just like shaved face, pointy ears. And is just like, yeah, I, I am Anatar. <laughs> I'm Anatar. Uh, everyone's like, like, Clark Kent's glasses sort of thing. He's like, no, no, yeah. I'm an elf. See, the, I'm an elf. The ears. Celebrimbor is just yeah. over here going like, no, I'm into it. Oh, I'm, I'm into yeah. this flirting, and it's all good. Yeah. I believe you. I believe oh. you. Oh, role so play, huh? <laughs> I do have to say, I recently saw an interview and a photo shoot with Charlie Vickers with a haircut and a shave, and he is nigh unrecognizable. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was actually joking that they might do the Clark Kent like <laughs> shave and a haircut and a target size, but they might actually get away with this because he is unrecognizable. <laughs> I am impressed enough with Charlie Vickers' acting that I think he could pull I think it he off. Could do it. I th- the way he looks in this photo shoot, uh, maybe we'll stick it in the show notes or something, but I'm like, he. He looks like he could play Anatar. He is draped over that couch in a very interesting way. <laughs> <laughs> you have intrigued me. So I, <laughs> I would love to see some of this come through in season two, but I have deep concerns about how much was not done in season one and how much of the connection to the elves piece of the storyline is given to Galadriel rather than Celebrimbor. Mm-hmm. They might fix this in season two. I'm not going to get up in arms and outraged about it until we find out if they do better or not. But they're going to need to do better or I'm going to be up in arms. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, he does look completely different. Holy shit. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I was absolutely like gobsmacked, like on the floor. Like I was just like, holy shit. I was joking, but I think that they could actually do this. (laughs) so yeah, I, I'm, oh. I'm here for Charlie Vickers as Anatar. Uh, see what I mean? <laughs> okay, yeah, I, yeah, we're definitely going to have to put this in the show notes. Because... <laughs> but yeah, wow. you see what I mean? I'm like, holy shit, Anatar, hello. How are you? <laughs> and I know that Celebrimbor has that beautiful chaiselong in his, in his <laughs> office. Does. And I, he certainly <laughs> does. Just imagine him drinking. Clearly there's a skill set here Chaisong. that needs to be utilized. Uh. <laughs> 
It'd be nice to have Anatar being draped as opposed to uh, Killebrimbor being draped. Oh, oh, you know. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I will have so much respect for the showrunners if they do Killebrim Banner. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same. Yep. Charles yeah. Edwards did just have a mask made of his face, like a, a latex mold made of his face. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think it's possible for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like, not that I necessarily want it to happen, but, like, that's ballsy. Like, And that's really what I want more of out of the show, is I want them to make good choices and brave choices. Yeah. Yeah. Make ballsy choices. If you're going to deviate from the text, fucking give me something worth watching. Like, give me yeah. something that's better than what is already written. In yeah. fact, we have an example of them doing that. Durin, Disa, and Elrond is yeah. a deviation from the text. Yeah. It's an introduction of a new character, and it is better than anything I would have imagined. It is queerer than I imagined that they would go, and I hope they do not pull back on that. Yeah. And I would argue that the way that Mordor becomes Mordor is also a significant deviation that I really enjoyed the way that that happened and the way that it, it was brought about the, and the way that it was visualized for sure. So I think they yeah. are doing some of it, but I agree that there's room for more. I'm also a mm -hmm. big fan of Bronwyn and Arondir, and I think that choosing to do a, a human-elf relationship that is overt and on screen is something that I am more pleased that they did than if they had just left it aside. So, yeah, yeah. I think where they are making bold choices, I think they're doing a pretty good job. Not all the time. Uh, Silmarith Mill. <laughs> we have to talk about that. No, let's oh, not. No. Do we have to talk about it? It's going so well. Do we have to talk about it? <laughs> We've been talking for two and a half hours and it took that long. Because we, for... <laughs> we, we don't need to go into this thing. It's a lore thing that everybody knows is a deviation from the lore that there's a lot of concern and consternation about. And like, I don't think that there's a, a much deeper issue there. Like they... They made yeah. something up and it, it's not hitting for a lot of folks. I haven't met a single person who has been like, yes, the Mithril story. That's great. <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who don't know any better. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I know people like that. They're like, oh, that's really cool. Is that from the lore? And I have to say, the fuck no. it's not. But like, <laughs> if it's working for you, cool. <laughs> like, I still hold out hope there that it could be a deception of some sort on behalf of Sauron or planted well before by Morgoth or something like that because yeah, the apocryphal Elrond does yeah. go out of his way to mention that most people consider it apocryphal yeah. mythological kind of thing and that it's and the showrunners there's been a word of God commentary about like remember that they said it was apocryphal so yeah, yeah. And, so. and Elrond is a lore master and so is probably one of the people best equipped to determine if something is apocryphal I mean I'm still kind of like the visual of the elf battling the Balrog. I was like, this is, I'm pretty sure that this is like a Blind Guardian like album cover. Like, right? <laughs> right? This, is, this is a medalist book image. <laughs> now, I think tempering my expectations that, you know, what I read into the text is probably a lot more queer than what I will ever see depicted on screen. I still expect them to leave space 
for those readings to occur. Because I think mm. when you don't, when you try to actively de-queer characters, when you try to step aside from the inherent queerness or campiness of a character, particularly when good representation is not necessarily all the villains being queer, right? But right. there's a long history of queer coding of villains and that's been encoded into our entertainment structures by things like the Hayes Code, by things like even MPAA ratings and, and all of that. When you try to step aside from that and you pull it back, it's always visible. It never works. It usually impacts every other level and every other reading of those characters' interactions. And I think that we do see that happening at least so far with Sauron and Celebrimbor, where you get the forging of these rings and they've shared the screen for mere seconds, maybe a minute. And it's right. just not sufficient to to hit the emotional notes that you need to hit, the story and character notes that you need to hit when you try to to desaturate the queerness from the subtext. I think they need an Ian McKellen on set saying, no Sam, you have to hold Frodo's hand. hand. People are going to yeah. be looking for this. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to Word of God, the showrunners have said specifically that they are not interested in taking a bunch of fan feedback into where they take this show going forward. So maybe that means they do have bold directions in mind that they don't want to listen to. Because let's be honest, the most vocal critics have been oh you can't have black people in the show you know it's all it's divergent from the lore women shouldn't be fighters yeah exactly those sorts yeah. of things so it is heartening for me to hear that from them that they are not going to give in to those vocal minorities of angry trolls on the internet that's mm -hmm. all well and good but there are fans who have actual fucking critique that it would behoove them to listen to <laughs> I don't disagree, yeah. but those aren't the loudest voices that I think that they're referring to. Yeah. Mm. So I have a couple of criticisms too, just of like the like the behind the scenes element of the show. I think they're doing overall a truly excellent job, but they could come up to the mark and meet the moment a little bit better on some editing pieces. Um mm -hmm. So like some of like Alicia's pointed out, some of the cuts that they they use are very, you know, sharp cuts, very yeah. static and, and rapid that they, they could do a little bit more in the planning and editing there. And I think it would continue to elevate the show. I think their lighting is actually amazing. That is one of the places that I've mm -hmm. been super, super impressed from a like a technical standpoint. Mm hmm. Yeah, for the eye, the episode that like everything was in the fallout of the eruption of Mount Doom, they did most of yeah. that in camera on set. Yes. Beautiful. They built like an entire different lighting structure to create a version of moonlight that seems believable in Middle Earth, but actually illuminates the set enough to be able to show what is going on on screen. That's one of, I think, the great compliments that I've seen a lot of people give is that the night scenes are visible. Yeah. And in a lot of other fantasy IPs, they're not. And so I think they've, they've done some pretty good things there. People are going to be angry about the battle for Winterfell for the rest of eternity. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, they're not wrong. It's going to say, got to crank up the brightness on my screen. Yeah. Like every DC movie ever is like, it's very dark. 
I, I don't mean gritty. I mean, it's just really dark. It's real hard yeah. to see. <laughs> so I, I like that they're, they're finding some ways to, to work with that. But there are also some things that I think that they might want to take into account. Like, it is a bold choice to take and, and leave some of your main principal characters not check in with in the final episode before you go on a two-year hiatus. Mm-hmm. A really bold decision, and I don't think it really pays off here because we didn't see in that final episode a single glimpse of our power throuple, who we all love. No, the fuck we did not. And I am in my feelings about that. I only basically <laughs> like the episodes where the power thruple is. Like, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, didn't check yeah. in with Rondier and Bronwyn and Theo. And yeah. I think textually there's an issue with this because they, they do lean on the, the idea of hope and they do lean on that very Tolkienian idea of hope. But the relationships that most manifest hope, the loving relationships, the familial relationships, the, the deep friendships are ones that we largely didn't check in on at any point in the final episode. And that means that where you leave your audience going into a two-year hiatus is forgetting half your characters. Yeah. And it would just be stronger, even if they had, I think if they had just done a little touch, a little check-in, added an extra minute to the episode so that you could see everybody, that would have been a stronger choice. Or even billing the final two episodes as the season finale as like mushing it together into a big mega one kind of like they did for episodes one and two because i noticed during episode seven that it was definitely like a fallout episode and it was checking in with everybody and kind of getting into uh, there wasn't a lot of stuff happening because a gigantic cataclysm just happened it kind of felt like a lot more like the first half of a season finale to me after a gigantic climax. And so I feel like even just billing it as a two-part season finale could have done quite a bit to kind of mitigate, I think, some of those feelings. But I agree, it's hard to go an entire episode without, and knowing that it's a season finale, without checking in on everybody. No. Um, I was also surprised they're on a streaming service. They they aren't locked into particular episode lengths. I was surprised that this wasn't an hour and 20 minute episode, a yeah. little bit longer to to wrap things up and check in with everyone. I think they have more tools in their toolkit that they can use in future seasons, and I hope they employ them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Are we done? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so is there, was there anything else that we wanted to... you may be released from your agony, Alicia. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely things I think we could all still talk about, but I think we've covered kind of the biggest elephants in the room <laughs> i think so yeah yeah well, that is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> go in peace alicia go go with god <laughs> no, i do have a question <laughs> any closing thoughts from anybody else I mean, my my closing thought is, again, I'm I'm excited about this show. I'm excited about where it's going to go. I really think that they've they've made something really special here. And I I think it could kind of only get better, really, from my experience. And the things that we've talked about today, I think, are very real problems. And I think that they definitely have the potential to be addressed and fixed in the future. 
Yeah, agreed. It's not a perfect show for me, but I really enjoyed it overall. And the things that do detract for it weren't like overly distracting from it. My overall feelings are that I'm very, I'm excited for the next season when that does come out. I loved being back in Middle Earth. I loved having another Tolkien adaptation. I do think that the more Tolkien adaptations that we get, the less all-consuming each one has to be, the less each one has to I, to represent everything about Tolkien and Middle-earth. And I, I like that we're coming into that place um, with our media where it doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all. You can take things that you like from one adaptation and like different, like more in a different one. The stakes are lower. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it's it's a lot more open than in, in the same way that when you do a Shakespeare adaptation, it is one of many. It is not the be all and end all sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know. So I I appreciate having more entry paths into Middle Earth. And overall, I think the show itself did a lot of things really, really well. And the things that it did poorly, it did kind of average poorly in ways that mm. other shows are also doing poorly or doing worse. And so the highs were pretty high for me and the lows were pretty average for me. And so I overall, I, I would grade the show pretty highly. I will continue watching the show. I don't believe it has a lot of rewatchability for me personally. I will go to YouTube for my Casa Doom supercuts if I want to rewatch anything <laughs> because I really yeah. just give zero fucks about a lot of what's going on on the screen. And I'm really excited about War of the Rohirrim. <laughs> it has done anything for me. It has made me more excited to see that. I was more excited about that before the producer for War of the Rohirrim started tweeting. Oh, yeah. That's not <laughs> so true. good. Yeah, I will point out Weinstein is who did the Lord of the Rings movies. And also true. 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 Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, well, with that, yep. <laughs> and what a great place to leave it. So we did. What a great place. End up wandering into Mordor. <laughs> Remember, Weinstein made the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Let's leave it there. <laughs> Fucking Christ, problematic babes. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> we're gonna get canceled, Alicia. I am. I- not saying that Weinstein's my problematic fave. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my god. If you're gonna cancel us, just cancel me. It's fine. Um, yeah, so uh, that's a fucking episode. <laughs> or two. Yeah, or two. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening on the editing floor there. Thank you everyone for joining us today. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or stream episodes directly uh, on Zencaster. That's Zencaster.com slash Queer Lodgings, a Tolkien podcast with hyphens in between all those words. Leave us a rating, like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook at Queer Lodgings, at Twitter for now at Queer underscore Lodgings. And you can also email us with feedback or episode ideas at queerlodgingspodcast at gmail.com. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. (laughs) The recipe for strong gravy. (laughs) (laughs) Please leave that in. (laughs) 
had to know. They had to know. They had to have. They had to know. I, Listen, whether I was the showrunners know, yeah. some of the writers' room and the <laughs> actors know. They absolutely had. They, as I say, I'm sure that they did. I, I, I'm like, Ooh. can you just imagine, like Robert Arameo and Sophia Nombete and yeah. Owen Arthur sitting around, going like, "All right, so, <laughs> so the look on Elrond's face when he says that, yeah. who's like, the top? Says, <laughs> yeah, who? <laughs> who switches? Is do you think any one of them is a switch? I think Doran's a switch. Yeah, I think Doran's yeah. definitely a switch. I think Elrond is still figuring himself out despite his Aww. advanced age because like yeah. elves and, and like weird purity culture bullshit. Um, <laughs> totally. And I think that both of them would like to get pegged by Disa and she is an obliging woman. <sighs> I think Elrond's a bottom, but it, like he hasn't gotten to the point yet where he can admit that he's a bottom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to oh. be clear, I have I have written fic of these three. <laughs> I've written twelve thousand words of Elrond and Disa, largely smut. <laughs> <sighs> it makes me so happy. Uh, it's so fun. 